0: Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ Tanda and Tom. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking about—I don't know if it's a controversial skill set, might not even be a skill set. It's a bit debatable. Talking about maintenance, the thing that no one wants to do, but everybody should be doing.
1: Pop quiz, PJ. What skill classification is that?
0: I didn't study for this, Tom. You what?
1: Uh, honestly, just pick a number because I'm going to tell you it's wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the letter 5.
1: Oh, so close.
0: It's a skill class 5. Class 5.
1: Better luck next time. D-
0: what? No?
1: Better luck next time.
0: I-, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a class 5 skill. Maintenance is right in the middle. It is Because... There is both very difficult maintenance versus very very simple maintenance, but for the most part, maintenance as a skill is overlooked. That is the real dilemma. Tanda, what did you find out in your research on maintenance?
2: Well, I didn't do a lot of a lot of research, like digging back into, you know kind of the kind of any histories or anything like that but it just seems that you know the maintenance burden has just continued to grow as our lives have become more and more complicated and we have computers we have you know all kinds of machinery that we didn't have before and it just seems like you know it's it's a skill that you have to keep up with because the things that you're working on and maintaining or keeping in good condition, at least in my case, seem to keep changing out from under me. And so it's a skill that uh, you you can't just say, oh, I've I've learned that. Because then you get a new tool or a new piece of equipment or or an old piece of equipment that you've never seen before. And, you know, suddenly you're reading manuals and looking up how to maintain something. And I think the one thing that doesn't change is, at least for me, is... That you know, it's kind of a necessary evil. It's rarely something that, uh, you know, I really enjoy learning about unlike many of the other skills.
0: I don't think you're alone on that. I think that no one really enjoys it. Like I said, it's, it's kind of like cleaning your house. It's got to be done but nobody really wants to do it. Tom, what did you find out in your research? Uh,
1: nothing. But... I remember going, have you've ever gone to like a significant bridge, like the Golden Gate Bridge, or that bridge and tunnel system somewhere in the Carolinas that's like 14 miles long, there's always somebody trying to make maintenance sound sexy. Like, it takes five years to paint the Golden Gate Bridge. As soon as they're finished, they start over again. Or, I, I think it was the tunnel bridge system in Car- the Carolinas where they, they say, um... You know it takes it takes so so long to inspect the bridges and tunnels that, as soon as they're done, they start over, and that's like a five year cycle.
2: I think there are people that that enjoy maintenance, and they seem to be people who buy things. I, I've known people who purchase things and they spend a lot of time maintaining them and polishing them and um, caring for them and organizing them but that they they also the people i know at least seem to rarely use them you know it seems like they mm-hmm. would rather organize and maintain and they never get around to using it i i'm have a particular person that i that i'm thinking of um distant relative and he has an amazing shop and and he's made i i can't even i can think of like 3 things he's ever made uh, but he's always doing maintenance on something.
1: I just saw a sign that says, what happens in the garage stays in the garage. And recently I took that almost as an insult because it seems like I never make anything for outside of the garage. So therefore, whatever, whatever happens in the <laughs> garage actually literally stays in the garage. Uh,
2: yeah, I took some things that I made this week in- into my customer and they worked just fine, but I wasn't particularly proud of the of the welding on them so uh you know i i would just assume they stay stay in my shop but uh, sometimes you have to take them out into the light of day
0: i don't think that your family member understands the purpose of maintenance you, you can't maintain something that's not used <laughs> it does that well,
2: Well, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you can take it apart and clean it and and dream about that day that you're going to make that thing with that tool that you bought that you've never
1: used. I will, I will add a a short story. I also know someone that takes his spare tire off every year and paints the rim every year and has never used the spare tire.
2: Well, that's probably because he does such a good job of maintaining their other tires that he's never had a flat.
1: Right. Right.
0: I, I I don't think that's a bad thing though. If you just if the if the spare tire is exposed and you can see it, I don't think that painting it is a, is a bad, you know, preventative mm-hmm. maintenance kind of a thing to keep it from rusting.
1: I agree with that, but I'm so far on the other end of the spectrum that because it's so different than me, therefore I think it's bad.
0: Well, I never even see my spare tire, so I could have, like, a raccoon living in it, and I have no idea. It's under the truck. so.
1: Yeah, I have one that's under, my, under the van, and years ago, I had an old van, and the spare was stuck. I had to actually cut it with a hacksaw to get it off, so I'm actually a little concerned that I won't have a spare when I need it.
0: That's troubling, Tom. Well, in my research, I decided to focus on equipment failure because, let's face it, we're makers, we use equipment, and that's pretty much the things that we're going to maintain. There is maintenance on other things besides equipment. But for the most part, that was, I had to search for something. So that's what I looked up. And what I found was, it was very difficult. It's hard to quantify this. There's a lot of, uh, let's say, pop culture references that get in the way. However, I did find some useful facts. Like, less than 20% of machine failures are related to age. A lot of people think that things get old and they fail. Nah, that, that's not it. There's also been some reliability studies, and pretty much what they've shown is 80% of all machine failures are completely random. Chew on that for a little bit. That's interesting. So no matter what you do and how you track it, it's completely random. There is a lot of need for data tracking in order to quantify when things break and what maintenance intervals are needed. But the problem is 98% of everybody that owns machines doesn't do a good job of tracking them, so there's no way to actually quantify it. Most people that own machines don't know what the performance targets of those machines are, meaning how long that stuff is supposed to last before it needs maintenance. So if you don't know what's supposed to be happening, then how are you supposed to keep it in working order? Most people, in general, think maintenance is actually repair. When something breaks, it needs to be fixed, which technically it is. That is maintenance. But the better end of maintenance is actually what we call PMs, which is preventative maintenance, which is regularly checking in on parts that wear out, replacing things before they break so that you have more uptime and it doesn't kill you in a critical moment when you have to have that machine working and it just goes away. Case in point, I found one good story that's kind of recent in the scheme of things. The research I found was that maintenance programs were heavily focused on from the fifties, 1950s up. Prior to the 1950s, in the 40s and below, there was no such thing as maintenance. It's just stuff broke and you had to fix it. But then companies began to realize that maintenance was necessary. And so that's when it started. Now we're going to talk about one of the biggest companies on the planet, which is Coca-Cola. Not sponsored. In the 70s, Coca-Cola invented this micro dispenser called a BreakMate. This was for businesses that didn't have room for a full-size soda machine. They had this little, it was like a desktop, almost like a coffee machine, but it made soda. And their idea was this would go in small offices with 5 to 50 people, and it would use the same, all of the soda comes in bags, and it's a syrup, and it mixes with carbonated water, and that's how you get soda. That's how it works at all the restaurants and everything. Well, they they thought that this was going to be like a huge boom. Their business was going to go up. This was going to count for 20% of their sales. But what they had not figured into everything was the maintenance of these machines. And the maintenance ended up costing them more money than they were making from selling the product because they constantly broke down. The thing that I really find interesting about this is... They started this in the 1970s, but they didn't decide that it was a complete and utter failure until 2010 when they yanked them all. So really, they had this thing going for 40 years (laughs) before they were like, no, this doesn't work. We need to stop. We're losing money.
2: I think that's not as uncommon as it sounds because I think oftentimes in a business situation, things like preventive maintenance or repairs get decoupled from the revenue of a particular product and you don't and someone who's trying to account for that just doesn't see it you know they they don't see that as a direct cost of putting those machines out there or a direct cost of running a business they don't figure in preventive maintenance it's just like oh it's an expense that pops up every once in a while like you said, with repairing broken things, and it and it doesn't get uh, put in and seen in terms of an actual cost related to that business, and it just goes on and on and on, and they wonder where they're losing money.
0: That's very true. One end of the company typically will not talk to the other end of the company, so I agree with you a hundred percent. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. To yourself. Today is a momentous occasion. Entering the foray for the first time in this podcast. Tom, you want to tell us about your deal?
1: I do. I would love nothing more. I was watching Jeremy Fielding's new video, I think two days ago, where he talked about getting free stuff. And he talked about, you know, all kinds of resources. He even talked about pallet wood, But he talked about your network of people that know who you are, what you do, and what you want. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a pretty good network, like, a lot of people in my life know that I do this nonsensical stuff a lot, where I just want a motor from a thing, or whatever. So, no less than an hour after I watched the video, my neighbor texted me and said, hey, if you can come over, I think I have some stuff you might want. And I was like, all right, he's probably got furniture. They're actually moving, and they've been living there for like 25 years. So I was like, he's probably got a lot of furniture that they don't—they're not bringing to their new place. Uh, they're downsizing to their lake house and or whatnot. So I almost brought a tape measure because of that. Little did I know he knows me way better than I thought. And I—I I get there, and on the ground is all of this white aluminum extrusions. And a couple other items that I'll, I'll get to, but these are handicap rails that go on your ceiling, and it's for like a sling, so you can put someone that can't walk, or maybe a um, like a quadriplegic, can't move any of their limbs, and you roll them over in bed, roll them onto a sling, and then the sling hooks up to essentially a winch that is attached to this track on the ceiling, and... Uh, his daughter, who I think is in her 20s, has had a condition her whole life where she was basically immobile and they used this throughout their house for for decades. But he acquired extra, a lot of extra, when, you know, people in that community, you know, with whatever's going on there, and, and he collected a lot of extra pieces. So I have at least 100 feet of this rail in my garage now. What's really cool is that he gave me two powered units, basically winches. One just rolls manually, so it it hooks into the track above, and you, you push it, but it has a winch to lower and raise. And it's all battery. And then the other one is the same, except it drives. So it will drive itself down the track. There's even two junctions that he gave me, which are like maybe two foot circles where you can think like train yard, like Thomas, the tank engine train yard, where the train goes on the rotary and it rotates you to a different track. I have two of those and they're actually motorized. So I have all this stuff. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with most of it. Uh, I'm, I reached out to a friend who works in a field that uh, could maybe use some of this at least. And I might try and sell some of it on behalf of my neighbor. At the moment, I've got about 25 feet hanging on my ceiling for absolutely no reason other than I want to play with it.
0: Did I hear you right? He gave you two rotary tables?
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> rotary track directional things. So you can go into this rotary section, it will turn, and then you can go out of the rotary section.
2: I can see it now. Tom's going to have like a router made from a lawnmower something that you couldn't possibly lift but it's okay because he can tether it to the ceiling and move it around his shop and then lower it down onto whatever he's uh, he's attacking i i
1: I actually am excited about it because there's been plenty of times where i want to lift something that's a couple hundred pounds and put it onto my workbench and these things can definitely handle that i mean they can handle uh, one of them says like 450 pounds, the other says like 350, but I'm sure there's a safety factor above above and beyond that. Even just the other day, well, I'm going to talk about that later, but I wanted to be able to lift my generator up, which is 200 pounds. And I, I, I made the thing work, but it, it was rough without a lift.
0: I think Tom's going to go the opposite direction. I don't think this is going to be tour related at all. I think he's going to make a giant train and it's just going to go around the entire shop from the ceiling because he's got little kids and he wants to entertain them. So He's going to make a train in the shop that will never leave the shop. It'll just ride around the ceiling and he's just going to put it on some kind of automatic loop and his kids are just going to stare at the ceiling the entire time while Tom is working on something else.
2: I have had an idea to do that so feel free if you listen to the podcast to steal this and run with it because I probably won't ever have time. But uh, just hang uh, PVC from the ceiling or any kind of flexible tubing and I was going to make a little rail system that that clamped into the top of it. And then you just screw it onto the ceiling everywhere. And then little cars that hang down on V wheels. So you can just clip them onto to it. And you could set up a huge train track on your ceiling, you know, instead of like people did in their basement or whatever. And then it was always in the way. You could just have it running all over your ceiling. It have multiple levels. And the cars were just going to run along on these little v-wheels so you know if you picture like 120 degrees apart there are two v-wheels up on the top of the uh, of the track so you still have room to put a mount up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and then the bottom of the three wheels drives it and i was going to make i was going to print little barcodes so as the car goes around, it rolls over a barcode, and that tells it to slow down, or speed up, or you know, go double speed, or stop for five seconds, or whatever. And then you, you know, you could just buy more barcodes that gave you different features, and you just stick them on the rail wherever you want it to change what it's doing. That's
1: cool.
0: That's very similar to how a studio setup is for film and television. You go to a film studio where it's, uh, where they typically are doing a lot of different setups. They will have. A rail system that spans pretty much in every direction and it's adjustable and you can make basically it's like an invisible dolly hanging from the ceiling and you can set the cameras up and you can set all kinds of things up um, but yeah very very similar
1: pj did you get any deals this week
0: you know i did tom yeah i do so saturday <clears throat> this was this was an interesting interesting day uh, it was a mini round robin in that I had to drive about an hour and a half to get the first deal, but then there was a second deal, because it's a round robin. So the first deal was this guy had originally listed this for $300, and I looked, and he had marked it down to 100 and I said, hey, would you take 75 And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take 75 And what he was offering was a 10-inch Rockwell bandsaw With the manual, which is practically impossible to get manuals with anything these days, this was a 1974 Rockwell bandsaw. It came with eight Nicholson hardback blades, which probably are worth more than the whole bandsaw is. And then in addition to that, he had a... I couldn't see anything, but I could tell from the shape of it. It looked like a 1x42 belt sander with a disc on the side, and it indeed was that, but it was a Dayton so nice i was thrilled to find that i thought maybe it was a rockwell but as soon as i saw the Dayton label on there i'm like oh yeah this thing just went way better it is in not the best condition but it's in salvageable condition and then he gave me a box of parts and stuff that looked like the like there was a bunch of random things in there but uh, they may hold some value they may not i'm not really going to go into them so that was the first pickup the second pickup was this guy that had a 1950s Craftsman Benchtop Drill Press. And this thing was in relatively good condition because he, apparently he had done a little mini restore on it when he bought it and then he never used it. So it was it was it had all the nice stylings that you see from like the 1950s power tools. It had a mortising attachment on it with a mortising bit and the, the only thing that was missing was the belt that went from the motor to the drive pulley. So I get that home, and a guy that hadn't showed up a couple days before had texted me, and he's like, I'm available now, can I come over? He he wanted to buy uh, the machinist toolbox that I got from that machinist clear-out a couple weeks ago. So he shows up with his cousin, and his cousin notices my mortiser in my shop. And I'm like, oh, you want a mortiser? I just got a drill press that's got a mortising attachment on it. He goes, really? Yeah, yeah. So we open up my truck. I show him the drill press, and he's like, oh, how much you want for it? And I said, oh, well, if you want it as is, 75 bucks. But if i got to clean it up and get everything going, it's going to be 125 He goes, oh, oh, I'll take it for 75 So basically all I did was just take that thing for a ride and then got rid of it. That's it's, great. It that was like a taxi. I, I did nothing. did nothing at all. That was the first time that's happened where I, I had it – I did have something else, which I can't recall off the top of my head, which I had bought and then sold a couple hours later. But this was like, had to be like an hour and 15 minutes total that I owned it.
2: You can say I used to have one of those.
0: I didn't even get a chance to take pictures. So like when I do, I I did a, a post earlier in the week about what I have on Instagram and the Craftsman Drill Press is not to be seen. With those deals hard enough for you, you got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket. Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, what is your personal history with maintenance?
2: I think it's probably typical that a lot of a lot of kids start out their first like maintenance project is with their bicycle. I know for me, that like the first thing that was mine to take care of and maintain was a bicycle and i can remember probably oiling the chain and you know and things like that much more than necessary just because it was something that you you did because you were taking care of your new bicycle and i mean we washed and waxed our bicycles when when we were little because they were a ride you know that was probably my first kind of introduction to to maintenance and then later on I got an ATV, one of the three-wheel, like the Honda 90 ATVs, and it was all metric, and we didn't have a lot of, I mean, we probably had a you know, few odds and ends of metric tools, but my dad got me a, a set of metric sockets for taking care of the, of the Honda, and I remember that being a really prized possession. In fact, it's, you know, gotten beat up, and the plastic insert and everything inside's totally demolished now, but I still have it. It's kind of a keepsake, that that little metric socket set, because it was kind of my first tools that were my tools uh, for taking care of something. And so that's, uh, those are the kind of my early memories of, of maintenance.
0: Suddenly I'm very nostalgic. Tom, tell us your maintenance stories.
1: Yeah, that got me thinking about changing the oil on my father's car. We always did that just something about like that's got i mean everybody does that maintenance not themselves necessarily but that's like the one thing everybody does maintain because they know that their thing that's worth tens of thousands of dollars is going to completely break if they don't do their oil changes uh, recently i um i restored my south bend 9a metal lathe i enjoyed that process it was uh it was eye opening to see the manufacturing of that item you know in depth but that took. Uh, it uses all these wicks to wick oil into the places it needs to go. So you put oil into the little oil spout thing. It goes down into the machine, and then a wick will bring it up, maybe an inch or two, and oil something that's spinning. Or in the in the spindle itself, there's these two wicks that are actually on springs, under the spindle, and you oil them. And it goes under the wick, uh, under the, you know, fills up these spring wells and wicks right up and oils the spindle itself. That's probably the most maintenance I've ever done on a machine or maybe the most complicated machine I've ever, I've ever done that with. And it's not that complicated. Uh, Once you get into it, it's, it's pretty, you know, everything is compartmentalized. You know, the gearbox is on its own. The apron is on its own. The spindle is on its own. You know, those components really break out individually.
0: I followed along when you were doing that. And I got to say, it, it didn't look complicated. It just looked very intricate. You know, there was a lot of, a yeah. lot of parts. There was, a, it was very involved.
1: What I love about old machines like that, uh, and that's not a dig on new, on modern engineering at all, but old engineering, like there's a screw that goes in a specific spot and it's the only screw that exists on the entire machine that fits in that spot. Like, the machine puts itself back together. You know, today, uh, I took apart my drone, and there's merit to this also, but, you know, 90% of the screws on my drone are the same screw. And that's actually incredibly helpful and efficient. But, you know, these old machines, they just had so much more character. And these, you know, there's pins that, tapered pins that only fit in one spot, and they only fit on that lathe because the other drilled holes in the other lathes that they made are just a little bit different or a little bit off. Thank you, Eli Whitney.
0: It must be impossible to find that screw if you lose it and you need a replacement.
1: Yes, literally impossible. Which
0: screw do you need? I need screw 5007B.
1: Yeah, it almost is that bad, actually. There's websites dedicated to parts for these old machines. Like Bridgeport, Bridgeports are still being made. The Bridgeport milling machine, they're still being made. But there are websites with used parts. You can buy every used part for every Bridgeport ever created. It's, I, I bring this up because it's my next project. I'm not going to do a fell restoration on it, but I do need to replace a few pieces around the quill.
2: I've got this brown and sharp uh, surface grinder, uh, Micromaster uh, surface grinder. And when you were talking about the oiling, it kind of made me think of that. I, As I was kind of taking it apart and cleaning it, there were these little tiny... I thought they were wires. I thought they were just stiff wires, and I could not figure out what use they had. And finally, I realized they were little tiny oil tubes that pick up oil and then drip it on the Z-axis. But there's no there's no place to oil the Z-axis or to get oil to hmm. it external to the machine. It actually has these little thin oil tubes that pick up oil... And then just drip down the back of the Z-axis slides.
1: I have this old Lorch L O R C H. It's a it's a metal it's a metal lathe. It's a toolmaker's lathe. It's about two feet long. It's a benchtop thing, but it's from uh, either from 1939 till before the war ended, because it was brought here by an American soldier, who obviously stole it from Germany. Uh, Lorch is a German company, and the what do you call the reversal gear assembly it's like the the gear back gears um back gears are like for low speed i thought but like the the reversal gear where the motor hooks up to the pulley and then the pulley hooks up to the uh lathe i'm i'm good with being wrong on that term but in the where the where the axle goes there's two pockets for oil and they're just like, they're large pockets, they have caps that you take off, and you just dump oil in there. They can't, you can't fill them up beyond the axle, because it'll just leak right out. I learned that the hard way. So in order to get the oil from this little reservoir that is just below the, the axle itself, there's two rings, like rings that you would wear on your finger. And they're larger than the axle, but they basically rattle around and spin with the axle... And scoop up some oil and just they, like keep drenching it like you're basting a turkey. I thought it was just, it's such a fascinating concept or solution to a problem that you just don't see anymore. Well, for good reason, again, but you just don't see it anymore.
0: So I think that the terminology you were looking for was inverse differential transfer system, Tom. Huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, yeah. Inverse. Get, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. i so, need to write that down real quick. Yeah.
0: Back to the olden days, well, Tanda took me back to the olden days. I was thinking about the very first bit of maintenance that I'd ever done. And it had to have been on the very first vehicle I owned, which was a 1986 Ford Ranger, arguably the worst vehicle ever produced in America. And I changed the oil on it. I also replaced several exhaust systems, the distributor cap, the rotor, several distributors, there's a lot of maintenance for this truck. I think I pretty much rebuilt it 87 times before I, I sold it. It was it was a nightmare.
1: And ironically enough... It's like how the human body replaces itself 13 times in your lifetime. Yeah,
0: yeah. Only this didn't replace itself. I had to replace it. That, that was the problem. Right, 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 right. But I do have I have an interesting side story about Rangers. I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and my friend and his wife lived in this apartment complex. And as I was going in to see them... I noticed this, uh, this is probably around the mid to early 2000s, like maybe 2003. And at that time, Ford was making these Rangers that were splash side. They had the rounded wheel wells, and they had a sporty edition, which had all these really brightly colored, splashy designs. Like it had driven through a puddle of paint, it splashed up, and it stuck there. And it was supposed to look very festive. And of course, I noticed it because it's bright and gaudy. It looks like a race car. And I go up to visit my friend and he said, hey, did you notice the splash side ranger out there? And I said, oh, yeah, how could you not see it? He goes, well, the whole motor is seized. I said, well, that, that truck looks brand new. How How is the motor seized? He goes, well, this girl that lives in the building bought it and she didn't know you're supposed to change the oil. It's got. Just over 16,000 miles on it, and she seized it because she never changed the oil. She just seized the entire motor. Wow. That thing is wow. now needs an entirely new motor. It's gone.
2: <laughs> I was like, wow. Gosh. That's that's not a lot of miles for a, an 86 vehicle. I mean, but, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I, I I have a friend that tells a story about he bought a car, and they said they had never changed the oil. They just added oil as needed. For the life of the car. Wow. (laughs) And it had a lot of, it had like 125,000 miles on it when he bought it.
0: I guess theoretically you probably could do that. If it just keeps burning the oil and you keep adding it in, you probably could get away with that. But it's going to be...
2: Right. I mean, there's probably this nice layer of sludge in the bottom of the oil pan, but... Yeah,
0: it's going to be very sludgy and you're probably using way more oil than if you actually did real oil changes.
2: Right. I guess if it was using a lot, that might be a good thing, because then you're adding a lot of new oil. Maybe it was using so much that the oil was relatively new all the time.
3: hmm hmm
0: <laughs> This reminds me of another car story, which is, I guess, tangentially
2: related to maintenance, sort of.
0: I had a friend of mine—this is a true story, and it's going to sound very weird, but it's a true story—I had a friend of mine that collected cars. He bought and sold cars— And this little old lady was selling, it was a, I want to say it was like a 67 Mustang. Was that the real popular Mustangs? Was it 67? Somewhere around there. I can't remember the exact year, but it was one of those, it was one of those iconic Mustangs. Like when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, that's awesome looking. So this little old lady had it and she had it for a very cheap price. I don't remember the exact price, but he goes to look at it and she goes, well, I priced it so low because you can't drive it in the rain. And he goes, what do you mean? She goes, it won't start in the rain. And he's, of course, he's laughing to himself. He's like, of course, it won't start in the rain. And so he buys it, takes it home. And then the first time it rains, he goes to start it and it will not start. (laughs) It, it, It was perfectly fine the day before, won't start up. He's like, what the heck is going on? So he starts going over every electrical system in the car, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And he cannot find anything. He's, gone, he's taken it to the dealership. He's gone all over the place. No one can figure out what's wrong. So, of course, he can't sell it because it doesn't start in rain. It's got some kind of problem. It's, basically, it's like haunted at this point. And I don't remember exactly how long he had it before he found the problem. At some point, someone had done work on the vehicle and they had taken off a plate and there was a wiring harness right behind the plate. And when they put it back together, it pinched the wires, but it wouldn't make contact unless there was a high amount of humidity in the air, like if it was raining and if it was raining and it made contact, it grounded out the wires and the car, the ignition just would not turn over because it was grounded to the frame and so the car didn't start and so he ended up rewiring it and then of course it was fine but it was totally like one of those things that like doesn't sound like it's even possible like no 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 it, it won't start in the rain <laughs> but that was that was that was a maintenance like from from you know
1: that sounds like a good episode of uh car talk
2: yeah yeah i think i talked about uh the the story of uh, trying to figure out why the car wouldn't start when you bought uh, chocolate ice cream right. but would start when you bought vanilla ice cream. and that's how it the, yeah. how it was presented. And it turns out that uh, you know the person would pull into the store, turn off the car. If they bought chocolate ice cream when they went out, the car wouldn't start. And if they bought vanilla ice cream, the car would start. And the maintenance guy is like, this is this makes no sense whatsoever. And it turned out the car was vapor locking. But they always had chocolate ice cream at the store he went to at the counter because it was very popular. But if you bought vanilla, you had to walk all the way to the back of the store to get it and come back up. So it was just the time difference from from when he was turning it off and, and buying the ice cream.
0: So getting back to my personal history with maintenance, I really didn't have an authentic history until I started working. I started my career as a professional troubleshooter fixing copiers and print systems. And this is where I learned what maintenance really was uh, in, in the machinery kind of a sense. And of course, we focused a lot on preventative maintenance to keep the machines up and going, but there was a lot of repairs involved. But the thing I think that sticks out to me the most is if you're going to do maintenance, you need to understand the machine that you're maintaining. You need a manual or you need some sort of a guide or you need someone to show you. The things that need to be maintained. Because if you don't have a manual and no one's told you anything, if you can't see the stuff that needs work or needs to be oiled or needs to be kept up, if you can't see it you don't know it's there, then there's no way for you to maintain it until it breaks. And that's all I have to say about that.
2: Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, especially if there's, uh, you know, spots that, that you have to apply oil or you have to replace some little part like on the old printers that you'd probably be familiar with that had a corona wire hmm for creating the corona discharge in in early toner based uh, laser printers and it had to be replaced every once in a while and you would you know the print would just start fading out and you could add new toner you could do you know you, you could tackle a lot of different ways and it just wouldn't fix it but you had to replace that corona wire to fix the problem. And if you didn't have a manual, it's not something you would just think of.
0: Well, they still use those Corona wires. The wire, the way that this system works is there is a drum or a belt that will, whether you're using a laser or a non-laser printer, if you're using a toner system, the toner has to be applied to either a drum or a belt that carries the image and then in order to attract that toner off of the carrier onto the paper, You need an opposite charge, and that's what those corona wires are for. It's to provide a strong opposite charge. As the paper runs over the wire, it pulls the toner down on top of it, and then it runs into a fuser that cooks the toner into the paper. Unless they've come up with some new technology that I'm not aware of in the last mm, 15 years, they're still using corona wires in all the copiers that are not inkjets anything that has a toner based system uses a corona wire and it basically looks like a thin piece of gold fishing line and it will get caked up with toner and it will start to work less and uh, you either have to replace them or a little technicians trick you can take a pencil with an eraser and run the eraser over it and erase the toner off of it and it will work better
2: funny funny story related to that i worked in the IT department when i was Going to college, and that was one of the things I did was uh, go around and and fix people's computers and printers. But I had someone, one of the department heads, started having problems with their laser printer, and it wasn't printing. And they said they'd replaced the toner, and it still wasn't working. And so I knew that's what it was, but they were absolutely one hundred percent convinced that they had come in and moved their office around recently. And they had placed a desk on the power cord and kinked it. And and they were, no joke, convinced that it was like a garden hose and that it just wasn't getting enough power to print really dark because the desk was sitting on the power cord. And so I replaced the Corona wire and, and moved the desk just in case and unkinked the power cord and one or the other fixed it. So,
0: so a number one cause... For non-working machines in business buildings is the cleaning staff. Cleaning staff will come in with a vacuum. They'll unplug the copier because they need a vacuum in the room, and then they won't plug it back in. And then, of course, somebody comes in on Monday, and the copier doesn't work. And then a service call is generated. Oh, the copier's dead. Somebody needs to come in. So, of course, that was my first question. Is it plugged in? Well, of course it's plugged in. Maria, did you check to see if it was plugged in? Oh, hold on a second. <clears throat> no, 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 it's it's not plugged in.
2: See, same office. We lost a plant to uh, a really big, uh, beautiful plant to cleaning staff who thought it was a plastic plant and waxed it. Oh. oh no. Yeah, and so it just slowly died over the course of about a week because it couldn't breathe.
0: I hope it wasn't a bikini wax.
2: <laughs> no, no,
3: this wasn't a hairy plant. second darn, i think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy loops and
0: stuff. hello this is Chet down at Johnson's hardware when was the last time your crescent wrenches were serviced to guarantee accurate adjustability have you flicked it two times to your thumb only to find out it's not opening to a full half inch bring all your crescent wrenches down to our service department and purchase a wrench maintenance program for only 24.99 a month We use only the most accurately machined doodads to test your tool's precision before returning it with confidence back to you, ready for only the simplest of jobs. Be sure to purchase our wrench extended service warranty so you can feel better knowing it'll never be used, but it'll always show up on your monthly credit card statement. If your wrenches have never received any maintenance since you bought them, contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills
3: what the heck nabbit? i need to get me one of them anyone know what street patreon is on i need to go
0: this should be interesting it's time for crossbreeding tom what skill goes well with maintenance
1: i think scheduling goes well with maintenance because you a good maintainer is also a good scheduler someone that puts it in their calendar that every three months we're going to change the oil or check the mileage on the car and every year we're going to paint the spare <laughs> the spare wheel rim and we're going to check the furnace and make sure the furnace is up to par and we're going to... like That is not my strength. I am awful with all of the things I just said.
0: I have to agree 100%. Maintenance literally should be on a schedule and if you don't have the scheduling skill then you need to have Siri do it or something.
1: Yeah, I don't look at my calendar, and my wife likes to remind me of that because she'll say, it's on the calendar, and I go, I don't look at the calendar. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have a family calendar on our phones, and it, it doesn't do me any good.
0: I I have to have that calendar because I have a terrible memory. And I, I, I will tell you, uh, for instance, this has nothing to do with maintenance, but it happened earlier today. I have, been meaning, I have a doctor's appointment once a year, a checkup, and it's in the beginning of December. And I have been meaning to call them for the past two months to see if I can't get a tetanus shot when I have my checkup. Because I don't think I've had a tetanus shot since I was a teenager, and I'm working around rusty metal all the time. I probably should have one. So I called after dinner and got the answering service. And I said, can you leave them a message that I need a tetanus shot? because I'm going to forget tomorrow afternoon when they're there. So that just happened. Tanda, what skill goes well with maintenance?
2: I, don't, I, th- I think I'm just going to agree with Tom and, and maybe give a little bit of a twist to it. I think time management, I think that you kind of have to allow time for maintenance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can put it on a schedule, but if you're... booked, then there always seems to be something that it's real easy to put off maintenance. And maybe that comes back to putting it on a schedule and saying, no, today's the day I was, you know, I'm scheduled to do this.
0: Scheduled downtime.
2: Maintenance, especially things that are annual things or things that are done infrequently. You know, I always, I find myself, you know, coming up on when they are, when they're due, but I think, well, maybe, maybe at the end of the week, I'll Mm -hmm. have some time to to do them. And if it's an annual thing, you know, letting it slide two or three days, you know, it doesn't seem so bad, but two or three days kind of turns into a week or two sometimes. And and then it's, uh, you know, past due. So I think that, you know, just having, making time for it, you know, even if it's on the schedule, just saying, you know, allowing yourself time to do maintenance.
0: It sounds like you're talking from personal experience there, Chanda. Exactly how long did you go past the due date? on that thing that you're actually not telling us about.
1: I still haven't done it.
0: Oh, good Lord.
1: PJ, what do you pair with maintenance?
0: I'm going to have to say cooking. Cooking is definitely the skill that I would pair with maintenance because when I get done maintaining something, I am hungry.
2: <laughs> That's good. You you give yourself a little reward for doing that uh, maintenance chore.
0: A hundred percent, yeah. That's probably why I'm such a good chef.
2: It all comes down to
1: like you change the oil in the car and you make a steak.
0: If I still ate steak, that would probably be correct.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to actually connect those two things, and I got nothing. <laughs> 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 well, you could you could always make steak on one of those oil burning uh,
2: furnaces. It just <laughs> might not come out so great. Now it's
0: time for some functional Frankensteining. Tom, I know you've got a story to tell us. You Frankenstein something.
1: I did. I finally bought a generator, which means we will never lose power again. So that's good news. We have lost power twice in the last three years for over a week straight, which means the refrigerators get cleared and we're miserable and we hate each other. And then everything gets back to normal. So I finally bought a a generator a friend tipped me off. They told me that Harbor Freight in a nearby town from my house had three of them in stock. I got there in about an hour and a half and bought the last one. So it is the, it is the Predator 9000. It's got an electric start and it's beautiful. It, it's basically a Honda knockoff from what I understand. But I kind of bought it blind. I just I trusted them. They they her family actually owns a uh, small engine repair shop.
0: Yeah, Tom, is is this the same Predator that Arnold Schwarzenegger had to fight?
1: Yeah. Okay. What do you think I was talking about?
0: I, I, I was just double checking.
1: Yeah, it's got the night vision thing and everything. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I, I,
2: so yeah. never realized he had an electric start.
1: Yeah, it's like in the first four minutes of the movie. So the thing it doesn't have is wheels. And I didn't know that. Because if you go on Harbor Freight's website and type in Predator 9000, every picture has wheels and a handle. Every picture, except for maybe one. But I'm going to be dramatic. And I didn't know that the fine print says, wheel kit sold separately for another 40 bucks. Whatever. So instead of spending 40 bucks, I figured I'd just use something I have already in my shed. And I have a couple of, what do you call them? They're like sh- electric shopping carts. That's exactly what they are. they're like little scooters, those little scooters you see in, in Walmart and but but for personal use I these weren't commercial ones and I've, I've collected them when I see a good deal on them. Uh, I got one for free I got one for maybe 40 bucks whatever and I, I I basically without a lot of effort I was able to fit my generator directly onto the frame of one of them. I had to cut some things off and weld a couple of little things together. But it fits quite nicely. I haven't yet finished the project, so I haven't strapped it down or bolted it down or I, and I haven't installed the batteries properly. So the the scooter itself needs a pair of 12 volt batteries. It's a 24 volt system. and without heavy modification, I can't change that. Now the motor will probably run on 12 volts, but I'd have to I'd have to put a new electronic speed control in there and whatnot and it's just not it's not worth it. Uh, I don't want to spend any money on this thing basically. The batteries were expensive enough. And then it also needs a twelve volt battery for the electric start on the generator itself. And I've I actually have I'm not sure how to go about doing that. I wanted to do like a like a maybe it's a reversing switch or a two way switch or I'm not sure. Not a two way switch, but I don't know the terms, where I can flip the batteries to in between parallel and series.
0: All right, so two things just came to mind, Tom. The first thing is you need a toggle switch control panel. That is a must. you got to have a bunch of toggle switches to flip everything on and off, all in the same is spot. Is there a
1: minimum requirement of toggle switches on that panel? At
0: least three. At least that's the minimum. Uh, oh, that's not bad. Five would be better. I thought you were going to say a lot more. Five would be okay. better, but three is the minimum. So that's the first thing. The yeah. second thing is, which I just had an epiphany while you were talking about the batteries, because I remember your video where the batteries fell off when you were you know, testing it out. You were gonna 3D print an enclosure, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. but here's the kicker.
1: I say lots of things I'm never gonna do.
0: You need to print a two-part enclosure with a battery removal box. So basically there's an enclosure that mounts to the frame that has contacts for the batteries, and then you make a little box that the batteries sit in that you can remove. So all you do is basically just slide it into place And the batteries connect. That way Uh you're not leaving the batteries out in the shed, basically like semi out in the weather. Keep the batteries inside the garage where you can keep them charged. And then whenever you need it, you just carry it like a lunchbox and then just slam it right into place
1: and you're Bob's your uncle. That's a good idea. Like little spring loaded contact points.
2: Huh. And on the 12 volt, you can just tap in between. I mean, for no more, I think, than it would take to start the generator. You have your two 12 volts in series for your cart, for your little uh, motorized scooter. You can just tap into the middle of those for your 12 volts for starting the Predator.
1: Can you clarify that? I think I know what you mean, but... There'll be 12 volts between
2: the ground side and the middle between the two batteries. That will be 12 volts. And you can just use that.
1: I can literally just go off of one battery and then... The jumper between to put them in uh, series, mm-hmm. parallel. Yeah, just go off yeah, that series. jumper
2: for your 12 volts for your starter. I can
1: run both systems simultaneously. Not a big, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought I had to break that out. Okay. No, I, I don't. No, I don't think so.
2: I think you just hook up hook up the ground side to your ground. Yeah. Hook the two batteries in series, and you'll have 24 volts across both, 12 volts in the middle that you can use for your starter, and then you only have one set of batteries.
1: So I don't need a switch one off or on I can just run them both at the same time so the other thing that happens in that situation is one battery will get depleted before the other battery which is not always great but I'm not like I'm driving this thing 30 feet and I'm using the electric starter for half a second so the discrepancy shouldn't be a big deal right
2: yeah shouldn't shouldn't be a problem and you can always uh, just take that jumper off between them and charge them independently as 12 volt batteries
1: that I'll probably do. That'll probably wire up separately too.
2: Because there's not a there's not a charger right on the on the scooter. Or is there a charger built into the scooter, a 24-volt charger?
1: It doesn't have a charger built in, but it has a 9000-watt generator sitting right there that I could Yeah.
2: Hook no, on. yeah, so you can so you can hook up a you can hook up an alternator basically. You can let the generator charge the battery, but you're probably have a hard time finding I mean unless you buy something specifically for it, a 24-volt No, right. charger in this country, will be less easy to find.
1: Yeah, I usually use my power supply to charge those batteries Yeah, when I can. Did you ever see my my magnetic charger Mm. for my lawnmower? Yep. I 3D printed a, a triangular shaped thing, and the wire goes in one end. It's like a long, flat triangular disc. And there's two magnets with screws going through them, and the wires are wrapped around the screws, and it and it magnetizes to to charge. I'm still impressed with myself that I figured that out. I had to go through a lot of iterations for that.
0: I remember looking at that and thinking the magnets were very cool, but it seemed to me like there was something missing, like some like a like a lip or so, something to lock it in place. Something that like once it was there, it couldn't just easily be removed.
1: It has that I don't know if you saw the last one. On the receiving end, it has the same round... It's a triangle with rounded edges. It seats the charger end, seats into a lipped...
0: Like a depression.
1: Yeah. Yep. So that it just... it'll The magnets will definitely line it up plenty good, but then that lip just gives it a little extra f- so you can't just, like, kick it off easily.
0: So what you need to do is take that technology and put that as the positive and negative the 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 male and female for the battery pack as it slides into the cradle in the generator so you're making the box that stays there permanently you're removing the battery pack so you just when you slide it in it just magnetically forget the springs just it magnetically you know locks into place and then you got power yeah, and remember, you, you got to include at least uh, two toggle switches, probably
2: three though. No, there's got to be at least three <laughs> toggle switches. You can't, yeah. yeah, you can't back off on that once you've set it. It Has to be at least three. And you could also just make a lid with some kind of, uh, you know, spring-loaded or magnetic contact. So you drop the batteries into a box, and then
1: the, uh, and then the lid
2: has the terminals of on course. it. And then when you tighten down the lid, it makes the connections.
1: Of course. You that'd be much easier. Kind of
2: snap down the lid then. That would that would make connections as well.
0: You need a cam, no snaps. Make
2: a cam. <laughs> you could you could use those. Uh, oh, I forgot what they're called. The the little clamps that have the uh, that have the cam built in.
1: Oh yeah, like on a mason jar, like one of those food jars.
2: Well, you could do that too. That would be that would be classic.
0: She's talking about the hold downs.
2: But I'm just thinking of the clamps like you see on CNCs that just have the lever cam oh. lever that clamps down. Yep. But I kind of like yep. the idea of the bale, like the spring wire bale, like on the old mason jars, only yep. scaled up to the size of two batteries. That would be good.
1: My, my problem with projects like this is that I already experienced the proof of concept, and now to go back and refine it and actually strap those batteries in place, I just that feels like work. That feels like maintenance. That feels like a drag, because I'm not going to experience anything new. I'm going to just finish the thing that I sought out to make, which already functioned. It's like building a table and not wanting to put finish on it because it's already a table. It already does the job of a table.
2: So once you've driven your generator around the driveway for a little bit, then the news kind of worn off and you you can't picture yourself, you know, maybe giving it a new paint job and, you know, hopping it up a little bit so that you can take it all the way to the store.
1: Yeah. My mail lady showed up as I climb onto it. <laughs> and, and she had a package for me that day, of course, which means she drove up the driveway. I couldn't avoid her. And I drove the generator cart all the way to her vehicle, picked up my package, and turned around. And I go, it's just a normal Friday for me over here. <laughs> she didn't even, she barely blinked. <laughs> she barely blinked.
0: At see, see, this is what I'm talking about, Tom. You need to get, forget just the regular toggle switches. You need the LED safety toggle switches like I used on the Rockwell Delta Bench Grinder. You need to make it light up. You've got to have that extra flip cover for safety reasons. I agree. Uh, This is what makes it worthwhile because let me tell you something. A switch is nice, but a switch that lights up... Oh, man, that's something special. That's the gravy.
1: I'll tell you this. I am headed in the direction of, of fixing the problem I just presented. Some of my shop furniture, I've started to make look a whole lot nicer i mean i've actually painted things put walnut trim on things and i actually appreciate and and enjoy those items a lot better than my other stuff so i am headed in a direction of refining that final step that's promising
2: i've, I've got a bunch of stuff here at the shop i'm i'm excited about changing and modifying and making do interesting things and switches and buttons that i've been collecting up and i alluded to it in my last video which was a long time ago and i've been collecting up stuff and kind of rearranging my schedule so hopefully i'll get back to that but i've got a lot of uh, a lot of electronics and lights and things that click and whir going on in the background that's
1: cool i love that mm-hmm. yes, yes. It
0: was delicious.
1: Let's
0: do it again. All right, boys and girls, it is time for short and sweet. Tanda, what do you got to wrap up the show?
2: Uh, just one thing. Uh, Tom mentioned uh, Jeremy Fielding early in the in the show and his latest video, and it's a good channel if you haven't come across it. He does some neat stuff and a lot of stuff with uh, found items and reclaimed items. Uh, so check out Jeremy Fielding. It's a good YouTube channel.
0: Tom, anything to add?
1: You know something that kept popping in my mind this entire episode is, in regards to buying old tools. Most old tools that you find at a at a flea market or garage sale or whatever you wherever you find them, they're very rarely broken. They're just always neglected. So a little bit of maintenance on an old tool. It's it's basically a brand new tool. I mean, my table saw is from 1947. My drill press is from an unknown 50s, 60s. I, most of my tools, at least the bigger, heavier ones, are all 40, 50, 60 years old. I mean, my lathe is from the 30s. I have the other lathe from the 40s. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade them for almost anything, unless unless I had a pile of money and then I'd buy a saw stop, but. I don't have a pile of money, so I'm going to keep my 1947 Unisaw. That's
2: good. Just eat those
1: hot dogs. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Hot dogs? What? Who has hot dogs? Oh, I must have missed something. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, pretty much 80% of what I do now is maintenance. I'm buying up all these tools to resell. They're all dirty and gunky, and I'm just cleaning them making them look nice, and then sending them on their way. That's pretty much maintenance. I'm not really doing all that much repair. About 20% of what I do is repair. Everything else is just maintenance on neglected tools. And
1: it works well. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of value in that. Because that tool has passed through your hands, who knows what they're supposed to sound like, look like, feel like, you basically are certifying them, even though a lot of times you don't have to do almost anything to them. But just the fact that uh, someone with your uh, expertise, or I don't want to give you too much credit here, someone with your experience...
0: expertise was correct.
1: Oh, all right. Uh, so someone with your experience in those tools, basically just triaging those tools and, and then sending them on their way, there's a lot of value in there.
0: I'll, I'll also accept tool mastery.
1: Oh, Tool Mastery was rejected. Sorry.
0: That, that's not true. It was accepted in, in uh, Europe.
1: Yeah, but they do the metric system there, and I, I just don't trust it.
0: Oh, see, that's why I was accepted in Europe. That, you know, Mastery, Metric, it's two Ms.
2: Yeah, Metric Mastery. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Got to know these things, Tom. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now it's time for Ask Old Oswald.
3: Ask me what? Who are you?
0: So we got a new segment for you today. We've got our first guest on the show. We have a, a, a veteran among us, Mr. Oswald, and uh, I know um, Tanda has some questions for him. He's going to try his best to answer. Uh, it's, it's a little past his bedtime, but hopefully we'll get some useful information.
2: Tanda? Hey, Oswald. I've heard that you're an expert in pretty much everything. And so I had a question about uh, setting up an FTP server on Windows 10, and I just thought maybe you'd have some advice on that.
3: Uh, well, my house has at least uh, 10 windows, for sure. Uh, and uh, they, I mean, they came with the house, so I, I didn't really have to I mean, I clean them periodically, but there's no real setup. Oh, well, I, yeah, this was, I was talking about uh, software. I don't have any soft windows. these are all glass. Oh, glass windows Windows 10. Oh I see where you I see where you're going there. Well do you know anything about file transfer? Well, I do have a toolbox of files and I don't really transfer them much but I have moved them from my workbench to the truck occasionally when I have to do some some filing outside of the workshop. Uh, but you know, I I recommend a good sturdy metal toolbox. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm talking
2: about uh, you know like files like like you know bits bits and bytes
3: files. Um, well no no you don't want to keep the drill bits with the files. That'll mess them up. They they they're very they're very sharp at the tip, and and the pointy part has to. You got to keep that separate. Files will will take that tip right off like you know you're biting a Twinkie. Oh man, um, yeah. I think maybe
2: you're not understanding the. Uh, do, do you know about the internet? The
3: the the internet. That's one of them newfangled things the kids are doing these days.
2: Yeah, yeah. Everybody's like pretty much everybody. I mean, young and old people alike are are doing the internet
3: and the web. You know, the World Wide Web. Well, I have many webs around the farm here. We got lots of spiders and stuff, but you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's as big as a planet for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, well, I, I, you know, I really appreciated Oswald, and I think that uh, Tom has some uh, question as well. But uh, no, no, no questions.
1: Um, no, I think I'm good. I'm all set. Yeah, you're no, all set. You, I thought you had some you iPhone one.
2: iPhone questions that you were going to no, ask, if, but uh, now Oswald. Uh,
1: no, you know, I did, I did, uh, I did have a question, but uh, I think I, I think I answered my own question. But if you have another question, by all means. Oh,
2: no, I just, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a little off track because uh, when Oswald's agent said he could answer everything, I, uh, which he has, I can't deny, Oswald has answered everything. Certainly has. Yeah, so uh, I think that that's, uh the only questions I can think of right now, unless you know something about
3: uh, about dogs. Well, I have an extensive knowledge of tick hounds. They're they're great hunters. What, what kind of dog were you wanting to know about?
2: Well, well I was. I have some bench dogs that I got in an auction, and uh, I'm not sure what they're used for.
3: Well, you should never put a dog on the bench. That's where you keep all the tools, and, and you don't want them to chew on stuff. They're notorious for just, you know, grabbing a screwdriver and just burying it, and then you need it, and you can't find it. Lord knows I've dug up so many holes and found chicken bones when I needed a screwdriver.
2: Yeah, now, while I'm not sure it was on the bench, the person who I got them from said
3: you put them in a hole in the bench— that, that's what I'm saying. The dog's going to grab it, and he's going to bury it in a hole. It's it's, a, it's terrible, you know, and you got to keep them off the bench. Otherwise, you're going to have holes full of tools all in your yard, and, and, and you know, dogs, they, they ain't going to draw your map. You're going to have to dig up every single hole to find, you know, it could be a screwdriver or a wrench or could be anything. One time he stole my salami sandwich, and I still haven't found that one.
2: Oh, man. Well, you know, if you do, I mean, it may be too late anyway. But, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, dogs rarely ever give you a map. I usually go to Google for maps. Is that what you do? Do you
3: go to Google for maps? Well, I, I used to Google some women before I got married, but my wife doesn't like that kind of thing anymore. So I, I try
2: not to let her see me do it, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear people Googling all the time these days. <laughs> Tom, why do you have your shirt pulled up over your face?
1: <laughs> oh, COVID. I uh, want to be sensitive to our Zoom call. I don't want to contract any virus.
2: Okay. <sighs>
1: Tom, you know, we, we, we
0: it was very hard for us to get Oswald on here. If you've got some questions, I mean, now is the time to <clears> ask him. He he's his schedule believe it or not is very packed up
1: here. Yeah, nothing.
2: Nothing. I mean, he knows everything. So you could come up with anything, you know. Like people who make wagon wheels. They'll they'll use a butt shaver. And I didn't realize that. Maybe Oswald knows something about
3: butt shavers.
1: I'd be interested to find out. <laughs>
3: you you want to know about butt shaving? Yes. Well, I, I gotta tell you, I I don't really recommend it. It's, it can be very painful. You know, I I I well, I will admit that you know, I tried it once, with a mirror, and <laughs> didn't go very well. I, I was not able to sit for quite some time. Oh,
2: I, yeah. I think we were talking more about uh, you know, like if you're making a wagon wheel and you need to to shave the end off of the spokes. But uh, we, we appreciate
3: the information, though, nonetheless. Uh, well, now wait—it sounds like you're talking about two different things. If you're if you're if you're shaving the spokes, you need a spoke shave. That, that's why they call it that, you know. But you know, it, it, you you don't want to. First of all, wheels do not have butts; they're perfectly round. You need to you need to understand that a butt is the end. Of every, everything that's got a butt is at the end. there There's no butt for a wheel. I don't know who's informing you with these kind of misinformations, but you need to have a conversation with this person and, and let them know uh, you're not fooled by their tomfoolery or their whatever you want to call it. There is this bad information.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I saw that on the New Yankee Workshop, but now that you mention it, I think there may have been two channels playing at the same
3: time or maybe a radio station. I, I don't I'm I'm confused. Were you listening to the radio or watching TV? Yes. Young fella, you need to help me out here. And she's she's just confusing the Dickens out of me. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs>
0: Oswald, I think what she's trying to say is <clears throat> she, she doesn't remember where she got the information from. It, it could have been from multiple sources, and that, and that may be why it's a little confusing.
3: Oh, oh. I had to, my friend had the multiple sources once. It was very painful for him. He had to go to the many doctors. And he had to eat a lot of bran. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your condition.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. I think uh, I think you may be confusing, you know, multiple sclerosis and multitasking. I, what I have is m- a problem with multitasking. I'm not confused at all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oswald, are you sure you're not confused? Because it kind of sounded like you were there for just the briefest of seconds i know you're you have a wealth of knowledge and um if if you is there is there you, you want to clarify it
3: all no no don't need to clarify anything
0: uh tanda did did you need to clarify anything yeah or tom <laughs> did you finally come up with a question for oswald
1: i got nothing
0: well, uh, since nobody seems to have anything, I'd like to thank Oswald for coming on and being our first guest on the show. Um, <clears throat> Tom is just utterly in awe of Oswald's many, many talents. Uh, so, you know, we're we're very grateful to have him on. I know uh, he took time out from his busy farm life in order to find a working computer, which, which by the way, Oswald, exactly whose computer are you using?
3: Um... Uh, uh, I'm not for certain, uh, you know. You called on the phone, and somebody set this up for me. I, I think it was one of my granddaughters, and yeah, she. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure how you all got on the TV, but I I can hear you okay, so it's it's working. Right. Oh, so this is your first time using Zoom. Um, well, no, no, I I go very fast in my pickup truck, so I'm I'm, I'm very, I used to have a Mustang, and that would zoom all over the place, let me tell you, I got pulled over by the Popo a few times, they didn't like it, so I had to slow down, and my wife kept hitting my arm and telling me to stop, but I just liked to go, you know, I had to, you get, you like to go fast, so I go fast.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, probably just as well. Uh, people say there are some uh, potential security issues
3: with Zooming, so I don't know. I think it's fine. There's no security issue on the farm. That's why I got shot yeah.
0: uh, what, what, you have a shotgun. <clears throat> what kind of security problems do you have on the farm, Oswald?
3: Well, you know, everybody's trying to take my stuff, you know, and I don't like that, so... I patrol at night with the shotgun, and just in case I hear something funny. You know, it uh, could be a dog bearing a screwdriver. You never know.
0: Wait, are you—you are you don't shoot at the dog if he's he's got something that came out of your shop, do you?
3: Well, of course I do. How do you think I'm going to get it back?
0: Um, uh, Oswald, I, how how many dogs have you had uh, over the years?
3: Oh, well, let me think about it there. I think I'm up to number uh, 87, or something like that. We had, that was, 86 was before that, and then we had 85.
0: Are, do you you name your dog's numbers?
3: Well, of course I do. How else am I supposed to keep track of which one I got left? Um,
0: <clears throat> I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Danda?
2: I don't know, but... Uh I would say that you could probably eat an old salami sandwich if you if you used the right shot and picked it out of it
0: well, um I'm not really well versed on uh shotgun uh firearms you know the just, uh, just shells and shots and stuff uh, Oswald exactly what do you what do you put in the shotgun what's loaded up in there what do you what are you shooting at the dogs with
3: well you know uh I got all kinds of different things, but lately I've been favoring hard corn.
0: Did you just say hard porn?
3: Yeah, hard corn. I grow a lot of corn on the on the farm there, and I just put it in the shotgun shells. and That gives them a good stinging, you know. They won't do that again, let me tell you. You take my screwdriver. One time I saw him with a hammer. Gave him a butt full of corn. He didn't like
0: that. Uh, Yeah, that's that's... Yeah, <clears throat> I don't. I don't think that's. Um, uh, did either any, anybody else have any any questions for Oswald before he
2: goes? You ever use rock salt instead of corn?
3: Well, you know, I used to use the rock salt, but and then I ran into a problem when it was dinner time and. And then I didn't have enough salt and then, so I switched to corn, you know. And my wife's cooking's not that good and I need a lot of seasoning.
2: Uh gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, we used to use a lot of rock salt, uh we're making ice cream back in the day, but never never shot a dog with it.
3: Oh yeah, I love making me some ice cream, yeah. Have you ever had corn flavoured ice cream? It's really good. I can't say that
2: I have. I've had uh, corn syrup in ice cream, but corn-flavored ice cream, that uh, that's something new. I might have to try it. Do you have a recipe for that?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. you got to put, you got to get the fresh cream. Yeah, for your cow, you need some uh, cream, I'm going to make some uh, cr- cream corn. <coughs> <laughs> cream
2: corn. <laughs> the thought of cream corn ice cream. <laughs> Okay, fine, oh, finally cracked him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just God. take some cream corn and some chocolate, a little bit of sugar and milk.
3: I get all emotional when I think about the ice cream. <laughs> you need you need some. Uh, you need the cream. You need the cream of corn. Uh, you need to get a little bit of melted butter. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Oswald, for coming on. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, we will have to look up the recipe for cream corn ice cream somewhere else. Thank you again, and I uh, hope all of you enjoyed our first guest.
2: Uh, I appreciate it, Oswald. Uh, you were true to form. You answered every question. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, you're very welcome.
0: I think we might have tuckered old Oswald out.
3: I need a nap.